I had Tim here with a message before the podcast. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from Lloyd Cole and the Commotions Rattlesnakes album. All lyrics are written by Lloyd Cole and all music composed by Cole unless otherwise stated. Rattlesnakes and Are You Ready To Be Heartbroken was also composed by Neil Clark. Four Flights Up also by Lawrence Donegan. Blair Cowan also composed Patience. Rattlesnakes was released on the 12th of October 1984 on Polydor and Geffen. Now, enjoy the podcast. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's listening party with Tim Burgess. Hiya, and welcome to another episode of Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio. I'm Tim Burgess, and I'm excited to be sitting down with another musician to play back a classic album together. If you've missed any of the episodes on the show, Def Leppard, Sparks, Bangles, Fall Out Boy, Kinks, U2, Texas, to name but a few, make sure to catch up by searching for Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. I love hearing from you, so get involved on Twitter by tweeting at Tim underscore Burgess and at Absolute Radio, using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party. This episode, I'm joined by a singer, songwriter, whose success in the 80s has had far-reaching influence into the 21st century. Along with his band from 1982 to 1989, The Commotions, they released four top 20 albums and five top 40 singles in the UK. Their first album, Rattlesnakes, is a timeless pop album, one of the best debuts of the 80s, and becoming a staple in my personal record collection. Its enduring popularity is evidenced by the fact that Rattlesnakes remains one of the most played back of my Twitter listening parties, and certainly one of my favourites. So, I decided we ought to do it on the radio. It's Lloyd Cole. Lloyd, how are you doing? I'm delighted to be with you. I just wanted to start with... um, there's a replay switch on the Twitter listening party as part of the website. And Rattlesnakes is, you know, one of the most replayed albums out of all of them. And it's up there with John Lennon and it's up there with Iron Maiden, Liam Gallagher, Paul McCartney. And, you know, so it makes this extra special that, you know, that you've come in to do a listening party on the radio. I mean, it's such a incredible record, really. I mean, it must have must have been a delight, uh, you know, to make, and what it's achieved is, must be a delight as well. Yes, it was. It was just, you know, we, we, we had absolutely nothing, and then we had absolutely everything we wanted <laughs> in about six months. Yeah, uh, I know that feeling. Uh, it was wonderful. It was, it was very much a blur. You know, we went from making demos for Polydor and CBS to just a few months later being in the garden studios in, in Shoreditch, uh, yeah. recording Perfect Skin and Forest Fire. Wow. So where's the garden in Shoreditch? Well, I can tell you exactly where it is now. <laughs> in, <laughs> in 1984, Shoreditch was very different. Yeah. There, was a, there was Brick Lane, so that you could get curries. The only other restaurant at all in all of Shoreditch was a transport cafe. So we would eat at the transport cafe for lunch most days because that was it. The garden was owned at the time by John Fox from Ultravox. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he sold it to Matt Johnson, the the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought thought Matt still owned it until I saw something actually on Twitter last week. It's now a -a Pret-a-Manger. Oh. 
I know where that is. Yeah, I know where that is. So it's right on the corner of Great Eastern Street. It was it was a corner building, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you, went to, you, you entered yeah. right on the corner and you went downstairs to get in there. And there was on the left hand side on the way in, there was a snake in a in a in a tank. Oh, fantastic! A snake in a tank. Yeah, a, a rattlesnake. Not it wasn't a rattlesnake. And, and maybe yeah, maybe that had something to do with the the title. I don't know. So, can you set the scene then? I mean, you know, obviously you would, you went from doing demos to recording the album at, at the Garden. How did you come about this notion of starting a band and recording Rattlesnakes? Well, I, I think, you know, from being a, a music fan for my yeah. entire life up until then, I think it had always sort of been in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a pop star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, and definitely a pop star, not a rock star. Definitely, yeah. definitely something like what Bowie and T Rex did, not Led Zeppelin. And so no. I started trying to make music with a band in about 1982 in Glasgow. We formed uh, a band called The Casuals that was Blair and I with various people. Neil came in to help. We had the sort of essence of the commotions there, and with The Casuals played one gig. Uh, and we, we, it was the birth of the casuals and I didn't think it was working very well and decided that we we're going to change the format and, and turn it into the commotions uh, but then uh, a local promoter had heard of us and offered wanted to promote a casual show so we so we did the death of the casuals so we, we performed two That's gigs fantastic. yeah and then and then the commotion started in in 83 and the initial sort of lineup of the commotions was was much more like a kind of style council thing. But I think I, I was yeah. really into I was really into Isaac Hayes. I wanted to make some kind of music that you could dance to that was sort of R and B based. And we got signed to CBS Songs. This publishing. Yeah, pub- yeah, pub- yeah, yeah, publishing. Yeah. We had a publishing deal, and they said they were gonna, they wanted to finance an indie single. And yeah. we had we had this song called Down at the Mission. Which, frankly, sounds like the Reflex or something by by Duran Duran. It's, it's fairly terrible, but it, it was considered to be our best song at the time, and we recorded it somewhere in Dagenham in a horrible studio with uh, some producer that CBS found. And then we went back to Glasgow, and we're all excited, obviously. Uh, and we had to record a B-side for it, and I wrote "Are You Ready to Be Heartbroken" with Neil. Oh wow. Wow. And when we were in the studio doing that, I wrote half of it at home, and then when we were doing it in the studio, I wrote the second verse in the studio. And I think we all realised, oh my goodness, this is this is on a different level to everything we've done before. This is much better, and we're and we're good at this. And maybe maybe we weren't very good at being like the Style, style Council. And that and that was just it, really. I mean, the next month, I took the Porter Studio home. We had a Porter Studio that we shared. Uh, I took the Porter Studio home and wrote Forest Fire and Perfect Skin in one weekend. And, Fantastic! And we did wow. demo. We did demos for them, and then, and then we we got a record deal with. with it was going to be CBS or Polydor, and uh, we chose Polydor probably because of Orange Juice. Was that why you were in Glasgow or why you were in Scotland at the time? Um... It was. It wasn't why. Uh, I was in Scotland because. I'd gone to university studying law in London uh, when my parents had moved from Lancashire to Glasgow. 
They worked yeah. in golf golf clubs doing the catering and managing the building. In fact, the commotions used to rehearse in the basement of the Glasgow Golf Club. So it only took me a couple of months to realise that law wasn't for me, but I was in London and I got to see the pretenders at the Marquee Club and that kind yeah, of thing. Fantastic. It was kind of fantastic. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I moved, moved back home, which was then Glasgow, and took a year out to sort of decide what to do, and then I went to university in Glasgow and the commotions... The casual started when I was at University of Glasgow. The commotions are all from Glasgow, right? They're all from Scotland, yeah. I think Lawrence all was from origi- Scotland, ori- yeah. originally from Stirling, but we all we all lived in Glasgow, yeah. Stirling, and we were very much yeah. we're very much a, a, a Scottish band. And yeah, I, I, and yeah. I, ha- I have sort of honorary Scottish citizenship, I believe. I like that. I like that a lot. It was very exciting in, in the early 80s in Glasgow, but if you weren't doing something creative, if you weren't trying to be an artist or an architect or a painter or a musician, there's no way you could get a girlfriend. <laughs> it was just, it was too competitive. And, and, and I think it was great. It was, it, was great, it was a great competitiveness. I mean, Orange Juice and Alan Horn hated us when we came along, I think, because they thought okay. they were... The, I think they only. I think they thought they were the only people in Glasgow that liked. Yeah, and you were gonna. You were gonna yeah. take the girls. Not necessarily take the girls, but I think <laughs> they thought that they were the only people that liked the Velvet Underground and the Staple Singers. Yeah. Uh, and and as I yeah. no, I like I like them as well. And so we didn't sound like Orange Juice. I think you don't sound like Orange Juice, but when you said pop, as opposed to rock before. You know, Orange Juice were a pop band, and oh yeah, and, and we and, we, and the Commotions are a pop band, and it's very good pop. And I and think most and most you know, of us loved most of us loved Orange Juice, absolutely, especially yeah. Lawrence, 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 and I. Lawrence was on Postcard Records sort of briefly because he was with the Bluebells for a while. Yeah, yeah, the Bluebells, of course. Yeah. Let's kick off this listening party with the first track from Rattlesnakes. It's Perfect Skin. So I may be undone She's inappropriate But then she's much more fun And when she smiles my way My eyes go out in vain She's got perfect skin Shame on you Got no sense of grace Shame on me Perfect Skin by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, the first song from Rattlesnakes. I remember Perfect Skin, and I don't know the first time I heard it, but I remember dancing to it a lot when I was about 17 years old in a place called The Four Ways, and that was in Delamere in Cheshire. Yeah, really not far from, from, I mean, I went to school in Cheshire, the Derbyshire end of Cheshire. (laughs) I danced my ass off to that song. (laughs) That's a statement, not a question, but um, I wanted you to know that. Sweet. Yeah, I was listening to it today, and, and um, I mean, it's still as good as it ever was. And, and I think I appreciate more now the, the guitar solo that kind of moves up a key, you know? It's, it's sort of like, oh, it seems to go up a key when you play the guitar solo. It, and, it does, um, yeah. You know, that's really good, you know, early songwriting chops, you know, I mean, I think. Thank you. You know, I mean, I, I'm credited with, with, with writing the whole song, but the arrangement was very much a band thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Blair wrote the bass line for sure. I didn't write the bass line. I just wrote the 
the, the melody, the words, and they do 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 do. But that was about it, really. Quite possibly, somebody else thought of go, moving to the E. I don't know. Um, right. But it is great, and it was. A, it Neil was great. trying. To, he was trying to do a sort of cinnamon girl thing with a guitar solo. Yeah, it's it's all there, isn't it? It, it is. We wanted that to be our sort of manifesto with the thing that people heard first from us. Polydor wanted to release Forest Fire as the first single, but we wouldn't let them. I don't know, in retrospect, maybe it would have been better the other way around because when Forest Fire came out, it got to the dreaded number 41. <laughs> well. And, and, and we never and we never got on top of the pops with, with Forest Fire and it, it stalled at number 41. I've had a 41 before. I've had a few. <laughs> and then when you get one that goes lower you know you think oh if only it went to 41 (laughs) yeah i know what we'd give for a 41 now yeah exactly Uh, speedboat i like it when albums sort of like set the stall out and then bring you back you know it's a slower song uh fast title uh speedboat slower song hammond organ is it hammond uh blair used to have a, a korg organ Uh, It was a a single manual and it had, it actually had a Leslie simulation and to be honest I like it, I like the sound of it better than a Hammond, it's it's a bit like you know you listen to those records by the band and you go that organ sounds great, that's not a Hammond either, that was a, uh, that was a Baldwin that they used to use. It's so so funny with the the Hammond thing, you know lots of the great Hammond organ solos are not actually Hammond. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's true. It's true. Because um, Hammonds are kind of quite warm, aren't they? And and for a solo, you know, you need something a bit shriller, I think, sometimes. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, I digress. So yeah. So that's yeah. That was that was Blair kind of vamping on that. Neil vamping on it. And me, I really didn't realise until we'd made the album that I'd stolen the bassline from What Presence, because it's almost exactly the same. Nobody in the band said anything the whole time. But you go, it's a boom, do do. What presence? Uh, whoops! whoops. Uh. <laughs> so all the more reason for Orange used to be hyper competitive with us at the time. And the title was from a book that I loved by Renata Adler. Um, oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely brought a lot of writers to the forefront in your writing. You know, I did. I, I used, some people would call it name dropping. Oh, I, I, it's great. Whatever it is, whatever it's not it name dropping. I just thought it was a way that you could you could convey an image using very few words. My my favourite one on the whole album is probably Grace Kelly Carr. I think everybody knows what a Grace Kelly Carr is, right? And it's only it's only three words. You yeah. don't have to say you don't have to say little sports convertible with an open top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. I mean, I, I I don't know whether it's called name dropping or just to me it's just like part of the whole imagination of writing songs. You know, like throwing and Dylan used to do it you know I mean I think he mentioned President of the United States and Grace Kelly and Marilyn Monroe all in his all in his early songs and I'm not saying that you took it from there but it's just um, it's just a comparison that you know you know it's good it's good to mention other people in your songs I think it is yeah and uh, I actually quite I think I I mean I'm still at it I still gosh the the new record I just made I've got how many how many other songs are referenced within the songs on the record it's I've given up counting. It's something that even when I pare down the lyrics, like they are, they are a bit these days. They're, I mean, it was quite flowery in the early the early records, and I think I just loved playing with language in those days, and I still do. But even when it's pared down, I, it's great to be able to throw imagery in using proper nouns. Let's hear the track we've been talking about from Rattlesnakes. This is Speedboat. Rest of the crew. 
song is the title track yeah that's neil's song he wrote the riff i came up with the idea of the strings sort of playing the riff backwards starting with a high note instead of starting with a low note and that it was funny recording that one in, in in the garden uh the breakdown in the middle of the song it was just me playing the rhythm guitar and i speed up quite terribly and when we were recording it we couldn't seem to get it so that we were happy with it and I think Paul Hardiman was thinking about maybe we're going to have to do some tape editing to make it sound right. Uh-huh. And then when it was finally finished, we'd forgotten about it and nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like, you know, you hear those, you hear those recordings of, of uh, the Beatles doing backing tracks and you think, oh, God, they sound all over the place. And then you, they, then you hear the final version and you think it sounds perfect. It's yeah. funny that sort of imperfections don't really matter and they might actually, they might actually help. Have you gone through phases after this record, um, you know, where you've tried to perfect things too much, you think? Maybe on mainstream it was a bit like that, but that wasn't us, really. That was Ian, the producer. And I think by the time we got about halfway through making that record, we were all too worn out to fight. (laughs) Right, yeah. uh, But making... No, I mean, not me. When we were making Don't Get Weird On Me, Babe, Fred Marr got a bit that way about the drums. He was in Pro Tools all the time, making sure that they were absolutely perfect. But it didn't really bother me because I didn't have to do it. Uh, I was yeah. You know, I, I could I could focus on something else, and it and it didn't. The dr- I mean, the drum scene in a recording process is is quite a scene, isn't it? You know, engineer, producer, drummer is kind of quite a big thing. It it, ca- it can be. <laughs> it and, can and, be. Yeah. And I think and I think I think sometimes when we're making records, we we focus too much. You know, you've got a whole band playing. You say you yeah. say you say you're on twenty four track as we were back in the day. Sometimes half the tracks are drums, which is just yeah. silly. It's just daft, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, the thing that I noted when we were doing the Twitter feed for this was yeah. the bass playing on Rattlesnakes is really awesome. It really drives the song along. People talk about, pretty much everybody in the band gets talked about a lot except Lawrence, and his bass playing was really extraordinarily good, and throughout the whole album it's just, it's just exactly as it should be. That's an amazing thing to say. Well, he's, yeah, he's, yeah he, he was... A, Really good bass player. He got bored of being a musician pretty quickly. And so, you know, him becoming a journalist and a writer made total sense. We reunited in 2004 to play a few shows because it was yeah. the, twen- the 20th anniversary of Rattlesnakes. And there was even talk about doing the 40th anniversary next year, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, it's, if, you're, if you're in a band that's been around for a while, it may be reuniting makes sense if you've got a breadth of material, but we only have young men's songs. We were only, we only were together for three albums and we were young for the whole time. So it's yeah. not so, it was difficult, but fun in 2004. Anyway, what I was getting to was the shows were great, but we, we, opened, we opened all the shows with, with rattlesnakes and, and it's an E, the first note's an E obviously. And, and in Manchester, Lawrence, God bless, played a played a played a D for the first note. <laughs> it can't you can't imagine a worse note to play. Maybe 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 E flat would have been even worse. <laughs> we all just looked at him. <laughs> it was pr- it was pretty funny. 
you know, big build up, lights coming up, we go on stage, yeah. crowd crew, Neil starts going, dun, 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 dun. they go in great, and then boom. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something, you have to own the mistake, don't you, and sort of like play it. Play it more than once, so it, <laughs> not to, that to pretend that it's actually you playing the right thing. Yeah, uh, but that, maybe... yeah, that's the usual. That's the usual method, but not when you're playing a D <laughs> instead of an E. <laughs> so on the waterfront is mentioned, and Simone de Beauvoir. Um, you know, I, I, again, it was like in an age before Wikipedia, where you couldn't just look things up. You had to kind of like ask around and find all this information, or go to the library and things like that. And yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it was very intriguing and very mysterious and exciting way of writing. You know, words. I just have to say, you know, it got me anyway. Thank. Well, well, thank you, thank you. Even if I, even if my pronunciation of Eva Marie Saint is a little bit strange. I still, I still well, don't, quite, I don't, still quite, don't quite know why, why I sang it that way, but I'm stuck with it now. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, just that's what you did at the time. Yeah. Here is track number three on Rattlesnakes. It's Rattlesnakes. Lloyd, can you tell me about the next song, please? So the next song, Down on Mission Street. Yeah. That grew out of that song, Down at the Mission, that we recorded in Dagenham. Uh-huh. Not only, the only thing that, that remained was the, was the... Uh, but still, still the idea of Down at the Mission became Down on Mission Street. So I think of all the songs on the album... That might be the one that's got the oldest bit in it, you know, sort of the the oldest bit of history, and it's still it's still yeah. less it's still less than a year old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> none of yeah. none of none of the songs on the album were, were written more than a year before the album came out. So yeah. so when we came, when we came, when we came to making the the second album, we weren't worried because we did well. We didn't take us very long to write the, the last album. The one thing we didn't take into consideration was that we weren't rushed off our feet running around the world promoting an album yeah. when we were when we were getting ready to make Rattlesnake. So we really didn't have as much time to make easy pieces. We just we were overconfident. We thought, yeah, we can do that. I think that's it, isn't it? It's like because you go into a rehearsal room or you go around to your friend's house to write. Um, there's excitement, but then when when there's a second album, you're never in the same place for more than like five minutes. You know, so you can't really settle and and write and. I've read I've read a lot that you know people need sort of like repetition in a in a way or you know a, a regular kind of like setup to write in a good way I th- you know that's what I've read anyway and I kind of feel that you know sort of like um, stability up. Yeah, yeah stability or taking the kids to school or you know having uh, you know coming back and only having a certain amount of time to write and then doing other things and you know it's a um, regular life I suppose I found I found actually that change has been one of the most inspiring things for me. Not necessarily like change within a daily, but but, but like moving like when I moved to New York in 1988. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was a real it was a real struggle to write ten songs for mainstream in the previous 18 months. I got to New York and I wrote about 25 in about 
so that couple, inspiration by moving it was yeah. just 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 uh, yeah just dislocation just tape being taken away from what you used to and when i get into more of a a stable situation i do tend to sort of run out of steam and i need i need to sort of force myself into some other kind of change so like by the mid 90s and i'd been in new york for a while i think quality of my work was diminished considerably did you feel like you had to move to new york no there was a specific perfect storm really the commotion split up i was in london at the time living in islington the commotion split up and i split up with my girlfriend and and i actually very nearly bought a small depressing flat in islington that was specifically ha- having in mind that i was going to be alone the rest of my life so i bought a single bed and a tiny little fridge it was really it was really quite quite funny yeah it was and then I, and then i went to the surveyor and he and he said you know what this building um is going to need a new roof really soon I wouldn't recommend buying this flat. And when he said that, I just I just thought, what the hell am I doing? What mm. am I doing? So I just said, you know what? I'm going to go to New York for a little while and see what happens. And stayed for 11 years. I mean, you know, I've always loved Manchester music. Always loved music from Scotland, New York. But I felt a real need to live in California. And I went to live there for 12 years. And it was a Beach Boys thing. It was a Grand Parsons thing. It's a Birds thing. But I really felt... It was the music that made me live there. That's funny, yeah. Well, for me, that would probably make sense, though, if that was your music, because my music was definitely Velvet Underground, television. Yeah. Bowie was in New York for a while. Yeah. Uh, it just New York just felt like the right place, the CBGBs. Even, and I got there just about early enough. The downtown scene was still just about alive. Just yeah. about, yeah, just about. But by the time we left, I was happy to happy to go because Times Square became Disney Town. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Anyway, CBGB's is a is it? Um... C- I think CBGB's is is, is now uh, is just a brand, and it's a, there's a cafe in Newark Airport, the CBGB's Cafe. Yeah, I've that seen you... that. I went for a walk around with my friend uh, Peter Gordon. He's a New Yorker. It was in a band called uh, Love of Life Orchestra. And played played with Arthur Russell um, a lot. Nice. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was like an, an eyeglass shop, um, uh, which is yeah, kind of that, yeah, <laughs> not very well, CBGBs, but you know, well, change life, change life, go, life goes on. Yeah, life goes on. Yeah, prêt à prêt à manger. Yeah, exactly. Time for another song. This is Down on Mission Street on Absolute Radio. Will you never be contented with your life? That was track four from Rattlesnakes, Down on Mission Street. The next song is Forest Fire. You've said about it could have been the first single, and you wrote it at the same time as Perfect Skin, did you say? Yeah, I wrote it the same weekend. The most fun thing on the recording of that was was, was Neil's guitar solo, because he he was really into trying to get this perfect sound. He had, he had a bass amp and two different guitar amps, and then he had all this tape on the floor, because he'd... he'd found all the sweet spots for getting the feedback 
Right, so he'd be right. playing it and he'd be moving from the, these different spots and getting all these different overtones. And I, I don't remember how many tracks it was. In, in, I mean, it sounds like one or two guitars on the record, but I think really there's about eight. Uh, and it was it was just that's one of the few things I remember because I, I got very I got very few memories of making rattlesnakes. It just just everything almost everything went just brilliantly, and it was just I remember visiting with Tom Verlaine when we were making it. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, it wasn't nice actually. He was mean. Um, was he? Yeah, what, he was very. Why, why, why was he mean? Well, he wasn't. He wasn't mean to me at us at the time, but he was very. He was already very jaded. And this is only 1984. We met him because we were working with Peter Anderson, the photographer who used to live in Old Street, uh, not yeah. far, not far from the studio. And no. and no. we were we were working, and and Peter said, "Oh, I'm I'm f- photographing Tom Verlaine." And, we, and I think I said, "Can we come? Can we come and say hello?" So, yeah. uh, so we went and said hello. And Tom was just all ready at that point where he goes, "He goes, man, you just gotta, you just gotta tour nonstop, or you got no chance, no chance. You got a tour." And he was just, he was, you could see he was really worn out and really kind of bitter about his experiences already. And then we'd recorded "Glory" by Television as a B-side for Forest Fire because we used to play it in our live set at the time. And he got in a bad mood because we'd recorded it at a time that he didn't have an active publishing deal, so I don't think he made any money out of right. it. So, he, so, yeah, poor Tom. I loved, I loved Tom, but he was, he, was, he was a very prickly chap. Yeah, I love his music. Uh, yeah, me I, too, me too. I never met him. Yeah, well, I, I, that, was when, um, that, was, that was when I got very much into the school of just don't meet your heroes. I've met a lot of mine, and they've all turned out to be pretty good, to be honest. No, I tend to forget the ones that I did love. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you know who? Um, you know like, who oh, well. <laughs> you know who was amazing though. We were rehearsing for my first solo tour in Nomis in London, and Paul McCartney was rehearsing next door. And for some reason, Robert Plant was around because he was working. He was doing some photos with Linda McCartney, uh-huh. and we got introduced for like five minutes in the corridor there with Linda and Robert Plant. Like, fast forward literally 25 years. Yeah, 25 years later. I'm playing a festival in a park in San Francisco. Uh, It's sort of like a a folk bluegrass-type festival, but all kinds of music. And I was playing with my son, just as an acoustic duo, and William went, he said, like, Dad, it's Robert Plant! Robert Plant, that's Robert Plant over there. He said, can we talk to him? I was like, no, we can't talk to him. No, we've got to leave him alone. <laughs> anyway, by chance, my agent, Frank Riley, was there. And I said, I said, you're, you're, you're not representing uh, Robert's wife, who he's here with, because she was Plant. He said, yeah, yeah, I am, actually. And I said, uh, do you think uh, Robert might say hello to William? And, and he says, I'll ask. And so that was nice. And so, so a few minutes later, Robert comes over and sees me. And he goes, oh, great to see you again. I'm like, what? Wow, he remembered. You yeah. remember 25 years ago? I'm like, wow, that's, a, that's amazing. Singers, like, they got they got good memories. <laughs> well, not, not, not me, but, I, I, you know, you don't, <laughs> don't forget him. And uh, he was complaining about a, a, a very sore rotator cuff. And <laughs> uh, I got one of those just a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I'm probably about the same age Robert Plant was when he was complaining of the sore rotator cuff that when we met. Wow, you and Robert. Yeah, yeah, sore <laughs> shoulders. <laughs>
Fire. I asked some people on Twitter if they had any kind of like questions for you. Um, somebody asked about why a brown door on the on the front cover. Absolutely no reason at all. Uh, <laughs> it was we were working with we were working with some with a sleeve designer, and he brought various photographs for us to consider, uh, and we all liked that one. It just seemed kind of right. mysterious because the door was slightly ajar. Like what's happening? What's inside? Uh, and and there was a sort of there was a sort of Americana feel to the photograph and we were you know, we were definitely we were a Scottish band. But lyrically I was definitely looking across the ocean quite a lot. Um, Do you think that happens a lot with Scottish bands? Maybe more with Irish bands, because there's such a such yeah. a link with Irish people moving to America. But uh is it I, I don't know. I don't know. I just remember you know, everyone was into Big Star uh, in Scotland and Velvets. Everyone, everyone loves the Velvets in, in Scotland. I think everybody loves the Velvets everywhere, don't they? I yeah, mean, that's true. Yeah. I, I was in Manchester and I love the Velvets. <laughs> uh, but yeah, people were really... Yeah, Lawrence was really into Big Star. I, I, I think Big Star are massively overrated, but when they were good, they were really, really good. They're, they're, they're great songs, are great yeah, songs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I really like Oh My Soul and September Girls and September. Ballad of El Goodo. You know, they're just it, the great ones, really. Is, what's the one that named after the age? Is it 13? 13, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that is, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful, yeah. Uh, Charlotte Street. Charlotte Street was written about, really specifically about a relationship I had with this older woman when I was living in London that year. And it wasn't on Charlotte Street. It was actually just off Upper Street. But Charlotte Street sounded nicer, sounded more romantic. Um, yeah, the lead line from Charlotte Street had been in a song that we'd had before we wrote Heartbroken, which is called Eat My Words, which is a little bit more R&B. And it was a bit more, the chord progression was completely different, but the riff was almost exactly the same. And I think I just took that riff and wrote new chords around it. And that sound that's on the, on the album, it sounds maybe like a Rickenbacker, but it was actually, uh, it was my Vox uh, Teardrop 12-string. And nice. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember, but uh, in 1984, all of a sudden, lots of bands had Vox Teardrops because, like, uh, Will had one in The Bunnymen, yeah. The Cure had one. I think Aztec Camera had one. What happened was there was a, f- uh, a batch of still untouched, brand new Vox teardrops found in this in this warehouse in Italy, and so wow. they were still they were still boxed, ready to sell in 1965. So they were 20 years old but unused. And the shop in Denmark Street got a bunch of them, and, and, and we all bought them. But uh, wow. so that was that was my that was my pretty much my main guitar, that and the Telecaster. I have but a white one. A white, a white teardrop. A, a, a 12-string or 6-string? Uh, no, 6. Yeah, six Brian Jones-style one, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Really savage sounding. I, I, yeah, I love the sound of them. Yes, yeah. and, and and the 12-string was pretty much impossible to intonate. To get it really? right. I mean, it was fine for strumming because it kind of all just kind of chorused itself out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when we were yeah. when we were doing the dun 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 in the studio, I had to I had to tune it for every note. 
I had to retune every note. Paul Hardiman said, "Okay, we've got that note. Like, let's play this note now." So, like, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, people don't people don't people don't know things like this. You see, this is like gold. Yes. Was it a like a mahogany colored tw- the twelve string or was it? It was a sunburst. Sunburst, yeah. Sunburst, sunburst with a with yeah. a chrome. Pick- Did it have card. a cutout as well or not? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember those. Enough talking about guitars. Let's hear Charlotte Street. Took me back to a basement flat Which was down on Charlotte Street Though it was never my intention Though we were not intense, not least Because, well, if you must just take Then I'm a piece of cake That is what she said to me And so I gave myself to her charity Well, at least that's how it seemed Here comes my train Track number six on Rattlesnakes, Charlotte Street. I mean, I, you know, my, my knowledge of music at the time was TV, really, at that time, around about 84, I would, I would imagine. I mean, I think I probably started to go and, and, and see gigs a little bit earlier than that, but, you know, very few and far between. But um, did you have a good experience of playing on the Tube and Top of the Pops? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the first time we were on Top of the Pops... I think the only time I've been more excited was when my child was born. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, honestly, I people used to think I took a lot of drugs in those days. I didn't. I didn't take any. I didn't need them. I was just so full of adrenaline. I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I was so yeah. excited. And I got the I got the lip syncing all wrong. I decided that there was one guy, one cameraman that was assigned to me, and I just decided to make his life hell. And I just was moving all over the stage, all over the yeah. place. I remember, I remember some journalists watching that at the time and going, "Well, you can see how much this means to Lloyd Cole <laughs> because <laughs> it really did." I mean, I had two ambitions in life: one to be on top of the pops, and to be on the cover of the NME, and, and we got both of them with Rattlesnake. You got both of them. Yeah. Wow, it's fantastic, isn't it? It, it was. It was lovely. It was. It was. It was an amazing year. Uh, the tube was. The tube was really fun because we actually played live, and yeah. and by the time we were on the tube. We'd actually got pretty good at playing live. We were pretty tight by then. And I think we played Rattlesnakes and Speedboat on the Tube. And I think I remember meeting. I think it was the Tube. I remember meeting uh, Spando Ballet were on as well. And I remember meeting Gary Kemp. I was still very much trying to be an anti-pop star, sort of anti-pop star, pop star. I was like, I was quite happy to be yeah. in the magazines, but but the sort of the rock and roll lifestyle. I was trying to live kind of the opposite of it. And I remember, I remember Gary saying to me, "I said, how do you like? How, how are you enjoying life with this, Lloyd?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's, things are good, you know. But you know, I'm a little bit worn out, and we're always working." And and somehow or other, he, he segued to he goes, "Oh man, I love it. I love, I love the girls. I love the drugs. I love it." <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just thinking, "How sweet! How like you know? It's like we, we're both very happy in very different ways." Uh, uh, yeah, Gary's great. I mean, he he did an amazing listening party on on, on Twitter for True. Yeah, uh, what an album! I didn't really know it to be honest before. Be, be, uh, before and and it was just like it, it sounds like someone who's having the best, you know, living their best life. It also sounds a bit like a greatest hits record, doesn't it? Because you because you, you go you go oh, I don't know this record very well, and you go oh, well that was a single and oh God, yeah. I, know I, I know that one as well. Oh oh, and is that on this album as well? Yeah, Gold is yeah. on there, and you know, uh, True I've heard about a billion times. 
When I moved to London, I used to live on Highbury Hill, and there was it was it was kind of funny because there was a, a prop, there was a Highbury Hill hierarchy. At the top of the hill, right. the very top of the hill, Sade. Yeah. Oh yeah. About a quarter of the way down, Gary Camp. Yeah. I was I was quite a bit further down. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was I was I was about halfway down. I'm not sure who was below me, but there was yeah, it was Popstar Hill. Wow, that's great. Yeah, we were neighbours. Lloyd, up next is 2CV. Tell me about it. Blair actually had a 2CV uh, when we were first oh, getting Oh, was in the car, of course. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when we first started doing music, we'd travel around in Blair's 2CV. And that's when I discovered my hatred of Steely Dan. Because he, I, think he had a, I think he had a cassette player, and he would always play Gaucho. And the first track was always Babylon Sisters, and I just hated that track. And we actually had a rule in, in the commotions in the, stu- well, in the studio and on stage. I used to say to Blair, I was like, no Steely Dan chords because you know if you listen to Steely Dan they don't ever have just major or minors they're always like add nine plus six or add flattened fifth this and that Uh, yeah they're pretty jazzy aren't they they are pretty jazzy and I actually I found that they do actually have a lot of material that I love now but at the time it's funny though isn't it that you grow into love stuff I mean I love Steely Dan too you know but I wouldn't have when I was like no, you know, no, and, they, and under they, thirty, they, they symbolised almost everything that I was was against. You know, I mean, because I grew up yeah. with punk rock, and they were the, the, yeah, you know, yeah, like, me yeah, too. They, they were just they they were the opposite of punk rock. Uh, in yeah. actual fact, there's there's some Steely Dan tracks which are actually pretty. Punk. Do you know Showbiz Kids? I do. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. And, and that, I, I, that's I pretty punk that. rock, isn't it? It's pretty pretty great. Yeah. So when they wanted to, they could do it. Anyway, so so the two CV I think was just there because it it sort of was the car from my memory and then again it was another song about well, from my year in London I had a girlfriend and she left me and uh, she didn't really leave me in a, in a car but it sounded nice but, but we really did we really did have a, a room that we were together in that was very dark blue Alright this is 2CV on Absolute Radio Hiding from the coolest southern sky She took her mother's car to get away from me Heaven knows that I, I can sympathize Oh, I can sympathize For we were never close if the truth that's 2CV from Lloyd Cole and the Commotions album, Rattlesnakes. We've mentioned the lyricism on the album already. So, lyrically, it was yours, though, right? Yeah, I wrote all the lyrics. I, I yeah, always, yeah. I've, I've only collaborated on lyrics like once, maybe twice. I collaborated with a poet in the mid-90s once, um, Alan Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I almost always write all the, all the lyrics. How, how did you find the collaboration? Well, I loved the poem that he'd written, and mm-hmm. I think I asked—I think I asked him if I could adapt it. So no, we, we didn't sort of go back and forth. I think, I think he was happy with the adaptation, so that was that. We just called it a, a co-write. I've always written um, my own lyrics, except for one occasion. Uh, I, I made an album with Kurt Wagner. Do you know him? Oh from yeah, 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 Lum, yeah. Lum Chop. Yeah. And it came about by me sort of asking him if he'd like to write a song, and he suggested that I write the music and he writes the lyrics, and I just thought it was such a interesting idea that I took him up on it I took it, it it took 10 years for it actually to happen but yeah we did an album where he wrote all the words and I wrote all the music which was kind of odd 
because I don't even write the music for my own band. (laughs) That's brilliant. What a great idea. I did. Yeah. I did. I did a record with this Austrian electronic musician Radelius, who used to be in the band Cluster. And, oh yeah. And that and that took me about that that took about ten years to happen because I, I made this my, my first electronic record in the early two thousands, and we had a mutual friend, and a friend sent a copy of the album to Radelius, and and then Radelius took it away, and he made all his own overdubs on it, and said, look, look, look what I've done. Let's release this. I said, but I've yeah. already, re- I've already, I've already released it. I can't release it. <laughs> and so, so he. Um, Classic. I said, I, but I said, you know, maybe, maybe sometime in the future we could do this by planning it in advance. And finally, yeah, like ten years later, we made a record in like 2013 or 14, where we each created deliberately unfinished tracks and sent them to each other, and we each finished them. No singing, just all instrumental music, but but great fun. Because the, the Eno yeah. record that they did together was good as well, wasn't it? You know, Cl- Cluster and Eno's great. Yeah, yeah. They did two. They yeah. did two records. There was Cluster and Eno, and I think the other one's called After the Heat. That the, right. It's, it's the three right. of them. The three of them with Connie Plank. Um, yes. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, how was Wagner? I'm not a massive Lamb Chop fan, but there's this one album that I love that's called I think it's called Flotus. Yeah, I mean, I, I got into them in about '98. And they really kind of inspired me for for, for a while. Uh, they did a great album called Nix, and I think I think you'd really like it. All right, um, I, I'm always looking for pointers. Excellent. Yeah, and and it's kind of it's it's the most commercial, I think. Uh, but Flotus is a great one. I I, I interviewed him for that record at, at Rough Trade at Rough Trade East, and right. uh, and and I've known Kurt for a long time. And when he got to the interview situation, I asked him a question, and he. He only answered with yes or no <laughs> in front of an audience. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. You know, it's like really kind. You know, we are friends. And, you know, you'd think you'd give me a bit of a, you know, throw, yeah. me, you know, throw me a bone or something. But anyway, let's play the next song. This is called Four Flights Up. Tell me about the next song on Rattlesnakes, Patience. Patience is the oldest song on the record in terms of the first one that was completely written that made the album. Just like I said, there were some early ideas that morphed into other songs, but but we did actually write Patience before we wrote Are You Ready To Be Heartbroken? But somehow or other, it didn't have the effect that Heartbroken had. It just didn't... It, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the catalyst. And I think... The second to last song on side two of an album is where you almost always put what you think is the weakest song on the album, and I think I probably thought it, Patience was the weakest song on the album when we were when we were making it. And when we yeah. listen back now, I think it might be the strongest song. It's interesting how that happens, it, isn't it? It is. It is. We we were, we were just we were just incredibly lucky. We recorded eleven songs for the album. We had this song called Beautiful City, which was a kind of a crowd pleasing, stomping up tempo, mm-hmm. rocky kind of track. And we recorded that along with everything else. And when, when we came to finally sequence the album, trying to find a, an order, I couldn't place it on the record. And I, I called a band meeting and said, it's, it can't go on the air. We've got to cut Beautiful City. 
and uh, Stephen was very upset about it because he thought it was it should be on the album. But eventually the band yeah. went along with me, and yeah, we were lucky. It would have been a, it would have been a considerably worse record with Beautiful City on it. It would have just been unbalanced. Whereas now it seems like it just it just flows by, and all the tracks seem to work next to each other. Uh, you only need one little thing to be wrong to stop an album. Yeah. Working properly. Yeah, when we did our first album, we had a song called "Always in Mind," which was it was always like the it was always one of the biggest songs live. We did a Peel session, um, and it and it was great. It sounded it sounded fantastic, and then we came to record it for the for the album, and it just wasn't happening. And we just thought, well, it's got to come out on a Peel session album at some point, so we may as well just have that as the definitive version and leave the album uh, the way it is, and it. I'm really glad that we did that. Um, and I'm really glad that, you know, that a radio station had that power to, to you know, that, that a record could sort of like survive on its own, you know, really just like that, you know. And um, so the definitive version was the session. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really pleased about that. Here's track nine on Rattlesnakes. It's called Patience. No money, the, no, but the blues, all because of I get the pressures of life through my patience. I get the pressures of love. She said the one thing that she needs is happiness. I don't believe that she's happy till she sees that I'm in distress. That was Patience by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. We're nearly at the end of the album. Do you have any more memories from making this record? We didn't mention Anne Dudley. When we finished making the basic tracks on the record, I said, right, now now we're going to put strings on it. And Lawrence especially was just like, no, you can't have strings. I said, no, 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 that's the worst possible idea. I was like, no, we definitely need strings. And I knew just from my childhood of listening to T-Rex with the Tony Visconti arranged strings, that if we yeah. got it right, if we got it right, it would just elevate everything. And, and obviously, if we got it wrong, yeah. But I, th- I thought we should do it. And Anne Dudley was fresh off doing the Lexicon of Love, and so I, I think we found out, uh, looking in a notebook, that that I saw, I was given the job of calling Anne Dudley and asking her if she would do string arrangements for us. And literally, on and we, we were so green. She just came by the studio when we were doing something or other and we played the tracks to her and I just sang her the melodies I thought the strings should be. So (laughs) she she just sketched them down and then if I didn't have an idea, she just went off and she did that beautiful kind of Wichita Lyman thing. It was was her idea entirely on uh, the play out of Down on Mission Street. And I think the strings on on patience are just really fabulously dramatic which works really well really well with the vocal and then at the end of are you ready to be heartbroken the string players kept playing because we imagined that they would they would fade out with the with the rest of the track and then we were just listening to it going oh well let's let's (laughs) let's keep these so we got like i think heartbroken was originally gonna only be like a minute and 45 seconds long and then the strings just playing out at the end of the album just seemed to be a lovely way to end the record. Just playing the it's play, beautiful song. Pl- playing on their own, yeah. Beautiful end to an album. Did you hear the Camera Obscura response to uh, I, d- I did, I, and uh, they actually sent it to me 
for my approval before they released it, which was very nice of them. It was uh, called Lloyd, I'm Ready to Be Heartbroken. And it's lovely. Uh, and you know what, a couple of years ago, I, I wrote to them and asked them if by any chance had an instrumental mix of the track that they could let me have. And, and every now and again, when I'm in a really good mood, I go on stage to it. <laughs> Oh dear. I thought you were going to say you were going to write a response to that. No, no. Uh, but uh, I, I use it as my going on stage music every now and again. Oh, lovely. Just if, yeah. only, only when I'm in a particularly good mood. I, I looked up response songs before the, doing the interview, and um, the number one response song was uh, Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen. Oh, I suppose so, yeah. The Sex Pistols, uh, and then the... Uh, there was a response to the Sex Pistols, wasn't it, by Johnny Thunders. Little London Boys... And then, and then, and, the, then, I think, and then the then the pistols went and responded back again with New York, didn't they? It's one of my most favourite things. And and we had a song called Emily that Laura Cantrell responded with uh, Emmanuel, which I thought was really, really beautiful. A uh, really, really, really good take on that. I was thinking also of uh, Southern Man and, and Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the big one. <laughs> Lloyd. Yeah, anyway, lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you too. Cheers. Let's hear the final track on Rattlesnakes. Are you ready to be heartbroken? Get a new tailor. Are you ready to be heartbroken? Are you ready to be heartbroken? Are you ready to bleed? What would it take? What would it take to wipe that smile off of your face? Are you ready to be? Are you ready to bleed? That's Are You Ready To Be Heartbroken, concluding this listening party on Absolute Radio. Thank you to Lloyd Cole for taking me through Rattlesnakes. It's been a trip. Every listening party, I like to recommend a few records that I've been listening to this past week. Uh, this week I've been listening to uh, Damaged by Black Flag um, it's um, kind of old school hardcore and uh, yeah I've been really enjoying that uh, ripping up the, <laughs> ripping it up during trips on the uh, motorway also um, after watching Lana Del Rey which I can also recommend um, uh, the Norman Rockwell record um, which I'm sure everyone's heard but um, before she came on she was uh, playing Nature Boy and I think it was the version from Moulin Rouge but so many people have done that record um, Coltrane Nat King Cole uh, David Bowie and the Miles Davis one's pretty great as well uh, so I'm going to say listen to Nature Boy by anybody who you want I've also been listening to Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry and it's called the Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry songbook and um, it's various artists uh, from the 60s um, lots of girl groups uh, Shangri-Las Crystals Raindrops and uh, there's a really great one by the Raindrops called The Kind of Boy You Can't Forget. And I'm going to single that one out, uh, mostly for the backing vocals, but also for the theme of the song too. Every song on this episode of My Listening Party was taken from Lloyd Cole and The Commotion's Rattlesnakes. All tracks are written by Lloyd Cole, unless otherwise stated. The album was released on Polydor and Geffen in October 1984. See you next time. Absolute Radio, telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.